Hello, you're listening to a Zen Studies Society podcast. To learn more about our community of Zen Buddhist practitioners, please visit zenstudies.org. Renzai Roku. Sayings and doings of Renzai. True sincerity is extremely difficult to attain. And the Buddha Dharma is deep and mysterious. I explain it all day long, but you monks pay no attention. Though you tread it underfoot a thousand, nearly ten thousand times a day, you remain in utter darkness. It is without a vestige of form, yet distinct in its solitary shining. It's been a while since I've had the privilege of attending session here at ONG. Other responsibilities have been the focus of my practice. And while I have not been here physically, my heart and mind have had all of you close within me. And without the Sangha, I really don't know if I could have done what I was doing. As some of you know, just very recently, two-ish weeks ago, I said goodbye to my first teacher. Without whom I really don't know what would have 
become of him. She sent me on this path, or maybe a better way to say it, she gave her blessing to this path. When one is ordained, even lay ordained, as is my case, one selects a spiritual advisor, someone who knows when to crack the whip, someone who knows when to console, when to be silent, when to speak. And I chose her to be my spiritual advisor because I was pretty sure that uh, she could cut through any and all bullshit that I was inevitably bound to throw up in front of myself. We used to read Renzai together, or more accurately, I would read it. She would listen to it, and every now and listen to me reading, and every now and then would, uh, <laughs> <laughs> so he says. And so while she encouraged and supported me to do my very best. She nonetheless prevented me from becoming enamored with practice, enamored with various teachers, helped me to see as much as I could see rather than roll around with it like a dog might. <laughs> and so today's talk in every respect It's also her talk. And so I picked this passage out of Renzi because it is my favorite passage. I have 
read my copy to the point where it just about has to be rebound. And there's so much annotations in the text and around the corners and edges that it's kind of hard to make out the original text. And of course, everything that is said therein, reported, is precious. Yet, as human beings, we nonetheless have our preferences, our attachments. One time in Doksan with Edo Roshi, we got to talking. I can't quite remember the context, but we always had a very lively exchange. I think he uh, enjoyed playing games with a uh, psychologist. <laughs> <laughs> I was the dog, and he was the one with the little tidbit here. <laughs> but we got to talking about attachments. And uh, he said to me, he said, do you think I have attachments? I laughed out loud. I said, of course you have attachments. He looked and he said, can't be helped. <laughs> and so this selection out of Renzai is one to which I am thoroughly attached. For me, it seems to cover the whole range of the Dharma teaching, the Buddhist message. Starts out talking about a human condition, sincerity. Talks about the struggles of a teacher constantly trying to help us forward. Talks about the student who works as hard as possible to be as blind as possible. <laughs> and finally ends up with a succinct and complete statement about it. And so it covers the full range of the human experience through the mysterious Dharma. I have spoken about sincerity on several occasions, and I imagine uh, there are those here who uh, remember sincerity, but 
for the sake of those who may not, I will try to give a brief Roshan promised me a Kleenex box earlier. Sincerity comes from the uh, old Latin. Sin sere, meaning sin without, and sere or cherry, depending upon your school of pronunciation, means wet. And in the olden days, that say the days of sculpture, the days of the amphitheater, the days of the Roman Empire, there was a great flourishing in statuary, sculpture. And of course, you didn't want to spend your whole lot of money and all your time putting together some statue of whatever only to find in the final moment that an arm dropped off. Better get a head fell off. Because there was some sort of a crack or inconsistency or fault in the basic block of stone. And so sculptors would go to the various quarries and they would find cracks. And uh, that wasn't good for business from the quarrying standpoint. So what they started doing is rubbing wax in all the cracks and being very good at it and matching colors and everything so that when you looked at it, it looked to be monolithically connected. And so you turn. Thud. So after a fair amount of bitching and moaning, the uh, Roman government would send inspectors out to the quarries and they would look for cracks on stone for sale and if they found any wax that block would be rejected or probably the person trying to sell it would uh, have a uh, close encounter with a lion <laughs> the amphitheater coliseum And so when the inspector found a block of stone that was through and through, he would stamp it with an official seal of whatever kind they would use. And the stamp said, Sincere, that is to say, without wax. And as that rolls along, it eventually becomes sincere. And when we talk about sincerity, what we mean is somebody is wholly and completely with it. They're not got their fingers crossed behind their back. And so Renzi starts out by saying, Sincerity, true sincerity, not false sincerity, not sincerity because there's some wax rubbed in it someplace, but from the toes to the head, in the arm, in the arm, one solid 
one solid. And I've read Renzai, as I've said many, many times, and uh, allowing for my bias, I'm pretty sure that this is the only place in the whole book where he touches something that I might call psychological, human nature, or kind of And when he does so, he picks this quality of sincerity. And what he means here is that as we practice, we can't practice with our fingers crossed behind us. Well, I'm really sincere during session, but once I get home, I'll get back into my usual routine. <laughs> or I'll really hit it when I'm on the cushion. I'm, uh, I'm a really professional sitter. I can sit here and you know, work on Collins or work on Durrani or whatever it is I'm doing, follow my breath and I'm right with it. But as soon as uh, the bell is rung, then it's you don't walk around, you know, <laughs> sort of like uh, boxing in the sense that you have rounds and after a round you go to you sit down, you know, the guy rubs your face and tells you a joke or two and how's it going? Oh, it's going well. Look like shit to me. And then the bell rings and you're back out there. What Ranzai is calling for is a complete effort. And not, I think he's not talking about this kind of complete effort. Rather, he's talking about this kind of complete effort. Not this too. Such that if you really are interested in the Dharma, then you will seek it, walk with it, laugh with it, cry with it, throughout the day, throughout the week, throughout the month, throughout the year, throughout a lifetime. So that, yes, this atmosphere facilitates a sincere effort. But once we go that way, and for most of us, we're back home, we're back working, maybe with kids, certainly with a credit card to balance, a car to take to the dealer, a lawn that needs mowing, a drippy faucet, Crying children. <laughs> In all those circumstances of life, 
That's where you practice. And that's where this garden bears its fruit. So that when you're lucky enough to attend session, your karma lines up, and you get here and you start going through all the various routines, following the schedule, doing your work, you have a sense that this is really no different from what you've been doing day by day. And conversely, when you're out there, you find, lo and behold, that's no different from being in the Zendo at session. We practice Zen, and every now and then we take a walk. Kiki, as uh, I've demonstrated several times this weekend, how to walk. <laughs> and then, uh, don't follow my tradition. <laughs> and, you know, people ask you, well, what's the walking around about? And, uh, you know, you generally, if they're just newcomers or casual questioners, you say, well, you know, you can only sit so long before the body gets kind of cramped and dysfunctional or whatnot. So you get up and walk around, give your body a break, and then sit back down. And the questioner usually says, yeah, that makes sense. Well, closer to the bone, <laughs> teaches us that there's no difference between sitting and walking, between walking and sitting. So that when you sit in the Chikijitsu rings the bell to start the city, it's almost a distraction because You've never stopped. So and Roshi used to say about Kingin, put your soul on the soles of your feet. And so we work at being sincere that our practice is through and through, but we don't segregate it into segments. But what we're doing here is what we're doing there, and what we're doing now is what we do then. And in some fundamental way, how we do it now is how we do it there and then. There's a slight difference in form. Running after a three-year-old is not exactly like Zazen. 
But on the other hand, it's just like Zazen. Three-year-old is usually a little bit faster. And uh, find that spot within. That spot is usually uh, a little bit faster than we are. The Buddha Dharma is deep and mysterious. Deep and mysterious. Deep, suggesting lots of effort, and you're going to have to go a while to get there. And when you do, all that you're going to find is mystery. Because the Dharma can never be exhausted. The tail never gets through the window. There's always something. It eludes us. Hakuin said in his, it's one of my favorite sayings, Hakuin said in his later endeavors, in his later days he had insights into the Dharma which showed the error of all his previous understandings. And I think we can safely say that his previous understandings were pretty good. There's always this element of mystery. That's why we talk about entering the stream or the path and the way, the Tao, and never the destination. Because while we may stop at various uh, roadside attractions on the way, We never arrive at the final destination. He goes on to say, have a drink of water, let people relax. I gave a talk once and I held the water in my hand all the time, which meant you can move it. <laughs> I explain it exhaustively all day long, but you must pay not the slightest bit of attention. I explain it all day long. These two monsters sitting here someplace, and you know, 
hear be jabbered about whatever and one of them says, oh my God, here comes the old man. Let's hide. Yesterday he got me, he pinned me against the wall for an hour talking about this stuff. <laughs> and that's not what it means. It means that the way he lives, the way he sips tea, the way he talks at a meeting, the priorities that he sits for, sets for himself and for the Sangha, how he gets mad, how he gets, how she gets mad. I'm not trying to be too sexist here. How she gets mad and how she gets happy. And how she expresses this, all of these are Teshos. There's a tradition amongst Catholic nuns that uh, if, for whatever reason, the orders of the nun, in other words, the uh, traditions, the rules, the do's and the don'ts and whatnot, of this particular order of nuns, if that were to get lost, all they would have to do is watch that nun follow her through the bed. And by her practice, she would tell you what the order and tradition was. And so you could write the order again, order in the sense of uh, how things are ordered. You could write it again just by noting her activity. And so we understand that this is what a teacher is. Someone who teaches us how to wake up, how to go to sleep, and what to do in the myriad of activities that come between the two. And every now and then, because Students tend to be a little bit dense. They don't pay attention. Every now and then, the teacher makes a sacrifice to sit down and formally present. And this is not because such a formal presentation is closer to the truth clearer about the truth, but rather because, unfortunately, we students generally don't pay attention unless there's some gussied up version of a presentation, a talk, a presentation, a seminar, <laughs> Nobel Prize speech, and then we kind of 
wake ourselves up for a few moments. And we're, oh, yeah, that's good, man. Yeah, I'll take some of that. And then as soon as the presentation is over, when you finish up, back to the old routines. So he's teaching moment by moment. And you can find out what the Dharma is about if you just Pay attention, moment by moment. And of course, we're lucky enough to have a formal teacher. Whose patience and kindness is quite remarkable. And in addition to this formal teacher, we have as many teachers as there are pieces of wood in this floor. As many teachers as there are leaves in a tree. Or little spores on the end of a dandelion. It's a definition of maturity, by the way. A young person and it's full of wonder. An old person, you know, puts down weed suppressant. <laughs> Get rid of it. <laughs> and so, even though we treaded a thousand, ten thousand, a million, Four trillion, three hundred seventy-seven billion times a day, and so forth and so on. We do it like this. What the hell is it? Maybe this is the wrong color. I should work on a better color. This is a really stamp with my name on it. <laughs> or maybe I need a different teacher. There may be a different practice with different parents. I'll go to psychoanalysis for a while see if we can iron out some of these wrinkles. Because we forget. We're going to woken up to the fact that the wrinkles is what it's all about. So Ada Roshi says, he asks me, you're a psychologist, you know about these things. You've been around a while. I think I had been lay ordained by that time. Do you think I have attachments? Of course not. You're Japanese Zen master. American Zen masters may have attachments. Certainly not Japanese Zen <laughs> You think I have attachments? You think I have failings? Do 
You think I miss the mark frequently? Mark? Unheard? But fortunately, we had a kind of relationship where we enjoyed antagonizing each other in a helpful way. So at that moment, I laughed. I said, of course you've got attachments. Give me a break. Can't be hit. Wrinkles can't be avoided. Just pay attention. The Diamond Sutra. We heard that today, that this is everywhere. Not differentiation or degree. And it is rightly attained by doing all that is good and avoiding all that is evil. Doesn't sound any different from any other religion so far. Purify the heart. This heart purification. The heart of your sincerity. Pay attention. I once gave a talk down at uh, DBC, and I was, uh, I think, I don't know, maybe it was this particular passage, because it's about the only one that seems to bubble up when I talk. I think it was the first time I'd ever given a talk down at Daimasatsu. Uh, and uh, instead of sitting in this position, I was like sitting over here, talking this way, false purposes to endure. <laughs> and Nato Roshi was sitting over here under uh, one of the pictures. And I used this expression, pay attention. And I turned to him and I said, how do you say that in Japanese? Or what is the Japanese version of that? And he looks at me and he says, we don't pay. <laughs> so. Bikyu was a Japanese student, teacher, Died in 1481 at 87 years old, where he was the abbot at Daitoku Chi. And once you learn anything about Bikyu, you find him being the abbot of anything is really hard to believe. <laughs> but a rich man, 
paid a lot of money and went long distance back before the bullet train. It said, Master Ikkyo, would you please write me some words of wisdom? And this was an appropriate request because IQ is right at the beginning, the font of what we think of as uh, expressive calligraphy for the Japanese. Some people will say he's the father, mother, or the sponsor, the source of uh, the calligraphy tradition versus just writing communications. So, maybe he was already set up, but he took out his brush and he wrote this character. And the rich man looks at it and needs his attention. Is that all you got to say about that? He says, can you expand on that a little bit? So if you big piece of paper. Attention. That's what you did the first time. Let's get with it. I spent a lot of money for this. So if you take For the third time, writes the character. Attention. At which point his visitor loses all sense of propriety and said, well, what the hell does that mean anyway? And then Ikkyu responds, attention simply means attention. We frequently encounter this in terms of mindfulness. We might tell kids, pay attention. If you're as old as I am and as young as Roshi is, and you remember back in grade school when the teacher would say, uh, put your feet flat on the floor, fold your hands on the desk and pay attention. And then uh, take a stick and start pointing the things Blackboard. This, of course, if you're in on the mill, this is a good hypnotic induction. Put your feet on the floor. Hold your hands on the desk. Mobilize your body. Focus your eyes on one point. Got it. <laughs> A, B, Z, Q, M, R. Pay attention. We normally encounter this as mindfulness, but mindfulness has been sort of co-opted by the uh, 21st century age. And that's why in the uh, meal sutras, 
Bush, you changed this. He used to say, I still say it when I'm sort of on <laughs> automatic. What is most important is the practice of mindfulness, which helps us transcend greedy, anger, and foolishness. Mindfulness for us for these days is a little bit too flabby. Attention! Cuts through. How does it massage your way through? <laughs> Cuts through. You look up the word in the dictionary, you find that attention means two parts. It's A, produce a contraction, and then temporary. And it means, very interestingly, to lean forward to lean into, so that your whole body, there was this uh, book, I think, written by uh, the lady who was chairman of the board out at Hewlett Packard, uh, I think written primarily for, uh, for, for women in the business world, but anybody, and the title of the book was Lean In. Lean In. Don't settle that. You know, as a psychotherapist, people would uh, often say that uh, they were practicing meditation. And that, uh, that always caught me every time. I say, how do you meditate? Uh, I say, well, you know, I get in the soft chair and I put it in a climbing position and I turn the lights down. I put on some soft music and uh, maybe light some potpourri over there and uh, meditate. <laughs> <laughs> it's wonderful. I advise the prayer. <laughs> I couldn't agree more. I think that kind of relaxation everybody ought to do every now and then per day. But meditation, as far as we're concerned, does not come out of a need to relax. Aeschylus was a Greek poet. I think he also did some plays, but I'm not up on that. But this was uh, Sandra's uh, favorite poem out of the myriads of poems that have been written in myriads of languages over myriads of years. This is the one that she made her own. Aeschylus. He who learns must suffer. And even in our sleep, pain that cannot forget falls drop by drop upon the heart. And in our despair against our will, 
comes wisdom to us by the awful grace of God. Leaving aside gods and the God, capital G, lower G, whatever, wisdom comes to us against our will. We may say we're here in session, or we may say we're here sitting. But when we look deeply, we find there's a part that sort of sits off on the edge and says, when are we going to get out of here? When is the drink of water? <laughs> First time I went to session was down at uh, DBZ before the monastery was completed. And uh, session was held down in the uh, 19th century house, Jorakulan. Jorakulan. It's a deep name. And it was a seven-day session. Started Saturday night to Saturday night. I lasted through about Wednesday. From Wednesday on, I was uh, <clears throat> designing model train layout and, uh, you know, trying to figure out the budget and doing sundry things all the while. Inside, I'm thinking, oh my God, how did I get myself into this? Some other things about Thursday night, which are a different subject. Simone Weil, she died in 1943. Think of tuberculosis in France. And uh, she was educated. She was a uh, socialist labor organizer, probably a communist of sorts, an author. And interestingly enough, as she aged through her short life, she became more and more involved in her sense of mysticism. And at one point she writes, attention is the only faculty of the mind that allows us access to God. Once again, we don't have to worry about what we mean by God. We could just as accurately say, attention is the only faculty of the mind that allows us access to it. It. What is it? Pleasant fall afternoon. 
So in the practice of attention, which I believe saying I know the practice of attention the foundation of practicing but everyone is a little bit different my way of paying attention is not your way of paying attention necessarily feel the same inside, may not manifest the same way outside. A person who's an artist, a person who's a sculptor, and a person designing PC boards, they're all paying attention, but they are obviously doing different things. So to follow your own path, Quite a few years ago now, uh, Roshi would know more exactly. I think it was for Ido Roshi's 60th birthday that that encomium was done. 60th? 60th. And various people were asked to uh, write a contribution. Thank you, and so forth and so on. And uh, Roshi asked me if I would uh, write something, which was, uh, well, surprising and an honor considering my in again, out again relationship at BBC and with Edo Roshi. But I wrote, uh, something that ended up being quite long, it was about four or five pages long, where everybody else had written a paragraph, maybe a long paragraph, or two pages if it was double space. And I wrote uh, this thing that was a good five or so pages long, and it was single spaced. But what it was was a, uh, a record testimony, report of various encounters with Edo Roshi during Doksan. And you're kind of hard-pressed to find out or to read or research or get any material about what does the teacher actually do during Doksa? Guides the student. You know. Highly signs guide that. What, what does he or she actually do, say, not say? Who's the time? So I picked out about 10 or so encounters that I had with Edo Roshi, and this is one of them. And I would write about it. Contrary to rumor, session does eventually end. The hour finally comes for the last sitting and the closing ceremony. And then, at the sound of the final bell, all rise and leave the zendo. Happy voices and laughter soon replace silence 
their smiling faces line the monastery hallway. During the closing ceremony, Aoroshi stands and offers his remarks. Do not be deceived by the practice of others. Follow your own path straight ahead. His call to self-truth rings once, echoes endlessly. Certainly do not be deceived. Good advice for all. But what about the phrase by the practice of others? Roshi's practice. Senior students' practice. No one wishes to be deceived by error, but the authentic practice and example of others must surely be helpful. No! Roshi's words cut through the hopeless hope that the path of others can somehow substitute for one's own path. Only by dropping everything can one drop anything. Everything dropping away. Follow your own path straight ahead. Everyone has their own path. Their secret source of action. Even as it curves along beside the stream of life, the path is always straight ahead. An old passage comes to mind. Though I walk through the valley of death, I fear no evil. The bell rings. The last sitting is over. One size does not fit all. Always got a kick down at, uh, here too, but at the TBC, you know, session would start out and you have one cushion on every spot. And out of the foyer, there'd be this mound of cushions. <laughs> You know, by the fifth or sixth day of session, there are no longer any cushions out in the uh, foyer, and every spot has done its own architectural wonder. <laughs> <laughs> this one I thought here, art here, sport here. When I was younger, going to session back in my 30s, 
I can remember for a few sessions, I, uh, I sat on this uh, small piece of cloth that had about half an inch padding in it, it was about this big. And I folded it over one, and I, when I could sit on it. Now I'm sitting in a chair for the most part. Contrary to popular belief, if we're lucky, we all get old. If we're lucky, we learn how to suffer creatively. So in closing, I would be remiss if I didn't report what my life teacher practiced. We met each other when I was 18 and she was 15. She met at a swimming pool. I was a lifeguard. She was a bathing suit. <laughs> but interestingly enough, the intimacy that we enjoyed the most was dancing. So from early on, she said that if she would apply for a job or if she could be something, there were two things that she always mentioned. One was, I'd like to be funny. And not like Joan Rivers, funny, but full of a warmth about life. A readiness and an ability to find the chuckle in any situation. And she did that quite beautifully. And she was always a good addition to a party without monopolizing it. The second thing that she wanted to be she wanted to be the last fairy. The last fairy. So that as a situation develops, rolls along, expands, contracts, Succeeds or fails, anyway, all sorts of influences are involved. People, situations, weather, stock market, fill in the blank. Frequently, people would uh, be agitated with each other. 
And she saw the last fairy as coming in and as much as possible soothing the situation, settling the situation, reconciling the situation. In our younger years, we never went to a party or a social gathering that as we got ready to leave and whatnot, party breaking up or what have you, she would always go to the sponsor, the host, the hostess, whatever, and ask if there was any help we could provide cleaning up. Always. She was always quick, ready, and able to find some perspective that would help people get it together. He could always find a path forward for whatever, for whoever. And not because she was some sort of a Pollyanna, you know, goody two-shoes. She saw things with a surgical accuracy. I was the trained psychologist. I was the one meeting with people. I was the one listening and advising. And yet she had more insight than I could ever manage to bring together. Insofar as I would discuss a case with her without breaking confidentiality and anonymity, someone who and I will express my confusion about whatever, she would find the way forward. I checked with my kids uh, recently, the last couple of days, knowing I was going to talk here because there was something I wanted to say about her. And so I, it's true, well, I mean, you know, kids have different perspectives, different experience, their parents. They both agree that she was the kindest person ever met. And since her death, various people have called me up, or made contact with me, with some variation
You know, I would remember when I was really going through hell with something. And Sandra was so kind that I made it through. Sandra taught me the meaning of kindness. I always had doubts. I, I always had doubts about looking for the best part of things until I met Sandra. And I saw that kindness really worked. And this, of course, is a close relative, if not first-class relative, of compassion. Kindness is an expression of compassion. Kindness works. If it doesn't work right now, maybe tomorrow. If it doesn't work in a situation by tomorrow, perhaps the day after. If after weeks, months, and years, it still seems to be a horrible situation, she would say, just not yet, not yet. And I tried to emulate her as best I could, but as Ada Roshi says, you got to follow your own path. And uh, my path at best was uh, to emulate kindness while she lived it. And so with her teaching me compassion by way of kindness and with the cushion teaching me attention, I arrived at this spot. And all of us at one point or another, what other the circumstances, time, place, event, at some point we will find ourselves trying to find the spot, the way forward, the answer, the solution to something that befuddles us. What I have to say for all of us those spots is to pay attention be kind this has been a zen study society podcast 
If you found it to be of interest, please consider making a donation by visiting zenstudies.org donate. Thank you for listening.